Would you lift your hands right across this auditorium from the front to the back, left to the right? We don't want a single eye in this room to be on man. And I declare that in this church, eyes will never be upon man, but always upon Jesus. Yes. Father God, I pray right now for every hand that is lifted, would you honor the outward posture of surrender? May it be an inner, a reflection of the inner attitude that we have toward you, that we wanna build our lives on the cross, that we wanna build our lives on the pattern that's in Scripture, that we wanna build our lives on prophetic direction from the Holy Spirit. And I pray from the front of the back right now, Holy Spirit, ascend, descend on this room. May our hearts and minds be elevated way beyond what kind of year that we've had and the circumstance and the stuff that we're going through because tonight, Jesus, only you get the glory. Only you get the glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone shouts. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus a build, summit, honor. Let's fill the room with compliments to the King of Kings. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Just, just another minute, just another minute. We, we don't need a rush. I love the presence of God. And sometimes it, in churches, we can just be so driven by time and rushing. We have an eternal God that lives outside of time. Thank you, Jesus. Mark and Nina, would you just take each other's hands for a moment? As I was on the plane today, I saw three things. I saw the number three. I saw the word greater. And I saw the number 10. So it's like a numeric three the word greater and then the numeric 10. And I began to ask God, well, what is that about? That's, can you just not talk to me in code for a change? Because I'm... <laughs> and the Holy Spirit just quickened in my heart to tell you that this next three years from this summit weekend moment, the next three years are gonna be far more fruitful than the last 10 that you've had. I didn't realize this is the 10th year of your summit, but it's like, and I'm not talking about numbers necessarily, even though that's a part of that. But there have been things in your heart that you've been stewarding in secret and in private that the Lord is going to now accelerate and bring into the light in the next three years. There have been seasons where you've said, God, I, I just want to see my spiritual sons and daughters do well. I just want to see them take ground. I, I, I want to see the church just win in, 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 the, in Brisbane and, and beyond. And I just want to see you do great things. And there have been things that you've been stewarding in the corners of your heart in secret. And the Lord says in the next three years, it's going to emerge from being in secret and into the public arena. And Mark and Nina, God's hand is on your life. It's on your ministry. And there have been things, Nina, even that you've said to yourself, I'm not good at that. <laughs> the Lord's actually going to reverse that narrative in you. And He's going to remind you, daughter, you've always been good at it. I'm just awakening you to it right now. So, Father, I pray over this couple right now, our leaders, the spiritual apostolic mother and father of the house. I pray, Father God, that you seal this word, that the next three will be greater than the previous ten. Father God, and we talk about fruitfulness, and I pray, Father God, that this will be real fruit, fruit that remains in Jesus' name. And everyone shouts, amen. amen. Let's give Jesus another big shout of praise. Grab your seat. Grab your seat.
so good. Hey, can we give the team a big hand, your worship team, yeah. your, um, your sound team? I'm running a little hot on my, um, on my headset here. If you can just turn the gain down a bit, that'd be awesome. Who's ready for the Word of God? Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. It says this. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? How many of you want that to be part of this church's mandate? But you've made it a den of thieves, and the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him. How many of you know that every time you turn the church back to its true north, people hate you? For they feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. When evening had come, he went out of the city. Tonight at your Build Summit, I want to speak to you a prophetic word. I felt the Lord give it to me, and I really sense it's for you and for this house in this season. And it's simply on this thought, flipping tables. (laughs) Turn to someone and say, flipping tables. (laughs) The context of this text is that Jesus and his disciples come into the main temple in the region in Jerusalem and the temple was huge it was where people from all over the region would come and uh, express their worship before God and people would you know come with the right heart and the right intent and here we see this account which is actually written across all the four gospels albeit with a few sort of subtle differences and nuance in the way that it's recorded but there is this sense that People came from all over the the, the region to kind of worship and, and offer their most heartfelt honor to God. And then we see Jesus do this very strange thing. He comes to this temple in Jerusalem and he begins to observe within the house of God some things that he never intended to ever see in the house of God. How many of you know that sometimes we can do church and over a period of time, even with the best of intentions, we allow things to exist or we tolerate things in the house of God that Jesus never intended for us to either tolerate or even to have in the house of God. Yeah. And so we see here in this text that, that, that these people that are, that are really well-meaning, they, they built their faith in, in, in Jehovah, but over time, their faith had began to add to it a few different things that were never in the intention of God for his people. And then when Jesus gets there, he begins to flip some tables. He begins to notice some things that had come into the house of God, and, and he begins to, to it's, it's not like he, he lost his temper. I, I don't think Jesus ever lost his temper. I think he was doing this as a prophetic act. He was flipping tables, and, and you need to understand that Jesus had nothing against tables. He was, a, he was a carpenter, so we built tables. He had communion with his disciples at tables. He sat down on ta- at tables to restore prostitutes and publicans and, and, and tax collectors to the love and the grace of God. So Jesus had nothing to do. He had, he had nothing against tables. And another erroneous way to exegete the scripture is also to say that Jesus had things against money in the church that couldn't be further from the truth because there are other passages of scripture where Jesus would actually stand right where the offering bucket was and look at people give money and go, hey, see that widow with the two mites? That's awesome. That, that, that's amazing. So Jesus had 
This had nothing to do with money. There was something in the heart of Jesus when he flipped those tables to demonstrate to us tonight that there is something about some prevailing attitudes, mindsets, lifestyles, intentions of the people that were sitting at those tables in the Jerusalem temple that Jesus wanted to reverse. Jesus wanted to flip. Jesus wanted to recalibrate. Jesus wanted to bring back to the original intention of God. So tonight, I want to ask you a question. Are you sitting at tables that Jesus wants to flip? Have you built your life sitting at tables that maybe tonight Jesus wants to flip because I sense that in the coming days, in the next few years coming out of the pandemic, the Holy Spirit's actually gonna be flipping some tables in some churches and that is a good thing. Come on, somebody, come on now. And I think that's actually a good thing. Notice that Jesus wasn't flipping tables in the marketplace. Notice he wasn't flipping it in the market square or on the streets. He was actually flipping tables in the house of God. And so tonight, I want to I just uh, go through maybe some tables that, that I myself and maybe yourself in the room have, maybe at times in different seasons of your life, have found yourself sitting at that I think Jesus wants to flip. I reckon one of the tables that so many Christians sit at that Jesus wants to flip is the table of disappointment. How many have ever sat at a table of disappointment? I'm not talking about just having a disappointing thing happen to you. I'm talking about sitting at the table of disappointment. Oh, man, I don't know about you, but the the, the table of disappointment serves up many courses. I reckon the first course, the entree, when you sit at the table of disappointment, the entree is always self-pity. Oh, the woe is me. No one has it harder than I do. Come on, how many of you ever sat at that table and ordered that entree? You know what I'm talking about? And the thing about the entree of self-pity is that they always come in the form of share plates. How many of you have heard of share plates? You know when you go to those fancy restaurants and you pay extra, only they bring out one plate and you've got to share it with everybody else, the share plate thing? Asians have been doing it for centuries. Yo, white people only now pay extra to do the same thing us Asians have been doing for decades and centuries. Share plates, self-pity. It's the thing where you sit down and then you call all your other mates and you tell them about your big disappointing season and then, oh, well, that's terrible, isn't it? See, I told you, you know, if you, if you, Jesus doesn't do anything for you, you know? I'm like, it's, it's a really hard. See, where is your God now? It's, a very, it's the very entree that Job ordered. See, I believe that Jesus wants to flip your table of disappointment. Because I, I, think, I think that the table of disappointment serves up more than just the entree of self-pity. I think the main meal of the table of disappointment is always discouragement. Recent statistics show that Christians in the Western church have walked away from their faith or walked away from engagement with Christianity, serving, being a community, etc. Not because of moral failure, not even because of sin, But the number one, by far, the number one reason is because they've been disappointed in some way. They've sat at the table of disappointment, and the thing that has come in through that has always been discouragement. I'm discouraged. Maybe it's not in in this church, but hey, in my church, people walk away from faith all the time from being discouraged because of their disappointment. Oh, Pastor Mark, it's another sermon of faith. Oh, it builds some, well, 
See, the language starts to change when you sit at the table of disappointment. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Right? Life happens to us, but if you're sitting at a table of disappointment, Jesus is here tonight, and he wants to flip it. And he wants to flip it. Look at what the psalmist says, Psalm 117, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. The psalmist is disappointed here, but this is what he's choosing to do. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Lifting up your eyes is your responsibility. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Helping is Jesus' responsibility, helping you in your season of disappointment. But your responsibility is to lift up your eyes. Come on, somebody. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. I declare that if you're sitting at the table of disappointment, this summit, he's gonna flip your table and take you from disappointment to reappointment. It's time to build your life again on the Christ who has lifted your spirits. Come on, somebody, into the shout amen. And he's reappointing some disappointed people. Another table that I've occasionally sat at that I think a lot of Christians in the 21st century often sit at, is the table of image, Pastor Mark. You know the table of image? The one where we project the image of us that we want other people to see. And it's not always the real us. The table that we sit at, which is a table of image, is often far more concerned with how people will see us than we are concerned with how God really sees us. Come on, are you out there? We start posting things on social media that make us look better than we actually are. We want an augmented image of ourselves in the eyes of others, and we become far more concerned about what people think of us than we are about what God thinks of us. And it's time for Jesus to flip that table in the church. Come on, somebody. See, the thing about being image conscious is that we don't realize that sitting at this image actually costs us. It's an expensive table to sit at. What does it cost us to sit at this table? It costs us energy and focus. How many of you know that it's incredibly exhausting trying to pretend to be somebody that you're not? Come on, somebody. It's incredibly exhausting trying to pretend to be somebody that you're not. I wanna ask you tonight, if you're trying to uphold an image that your marriage is so awesome, but it's not really that. If you're trying to uphold an image that your kids are amazing, but they're not really. Come on now, somebody. If you're trying to uphold an image of your life doing better, then, then it actually, it's time for Jesus to flip the table of image and for the church to come back to a genuine authenticity and vulnerability. It's actually okay to say, hey, pastor, I'm struggling a little. Can you pray for me? Hey, hey, leaders, I'm not doing so well in this season. Can you speak into my life? Come on, somebody. Because if we sit at the table of image, we'll never wash someone's feet. We'll never want to go out and talk to the lame, the, 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 the blind, the maimed. Come on, somebody. We will never do kingdom work if we're so concerned about image because often kingdom work is dirty work. You'll never wash your community's feet if you're so concerned at sitting at the table of image. Come on, somebody. It's time for the Western church that is too cool for school to let Jesus flip the table of image. I don't want to look good in front of man. I want to be a vessel that Jesus can use. Who cares what people think? I don't give a rip. I don't give a rip. For some of you that don't know my story, my wife and I 
have two boys, a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old. I've got a 17-year-old disabled son. So he's six foot two. And everywhere we go, if you have disability in your family, you just learn to not give a rip about what people think. We've got our disabled son with us everywhere. He doesn't behave the way other people behave. And you know what? I don't care about what people think. My job as dad is to love him the best that I can. There were seasons where I was so self-conscious. Jesus came and flipped those tables. I haven't called you to present an image. I've called you to love your son. And in so many ways, we need to come back to the heart of God. God hasn't called, our calling is not to be cool. Our calling is to reach the lost, to the hurting and the broken. We will never wash our community's feet. It was so caught up in the table of image. Come on, somebody, shout amen. It's time for Jesus to flip the table. The third table, which I occasionally sit at, is a table of comparison. Not looking at anybody. How many of you ever compared your life to somebody else? Six of you at Build Summit, the rest of you guys are liars. <laughs> Come on, how many of you ever compared your life or some area of your life to somebody else? See, oh man, if I had a dollar, Pastor Danny, for every time I sat at the table of comparison, I'd be able to pay off every building debt in, in Australia for every church. It gets you, doesn't it? Comparison? It, it just, it literally just, just it, it gets to you. Whose house is bigger, whose car is newer, whose kids are better behaved, who's gone on a more exciting holiday, whose wife is better, whose husband is better. It never ends. When you sit at the table of comparison, I reckon when you sit at the table of comparison, you don't just sit there, it chains you there. You might find yourself occasionally sitting on it, but over time you actually realize you haven't just been sitting on it, you've been chained to it for years because the table of comparison you know, there's lots of memes and lots of stuff on the internet where it says things like, comparison is the thief of joy. Have you heard that? Yep, comparison steals your joy. I think that's true. But if all that comparison does is steal your joy, you're the only person it hurts. But I think comparison does more than that. The table of comparison, when you sit at it, it actually steals your focus. And when the table of comparison steals your focus, it doesn't just hurt you, it hurts the people you're called to. It hurts your ministry, it hurts your, come on, it hurts your purpose. If all that comparison does is steal your joy, you're the only person that ends up negatively affected by that. But I can tell you what, in the seasons where I've started to compare my church, my children, my wife, my stuff, my talents, my gifts, my calling, my house, my car, it hasn't just stolen my joy, it's stolen my focus. I started to put my eyes on wrong things instead of the things I should be putting my eyes on, which is serving Jesus with my whole life. I wonder tonight if there's somebody in the room where God needs to flip your table of comparison and it's time to come back again to a place where you have a determination in your heart, a, a conviction in your heart that I am who I am, that God has called me to be who God has called me to be. It doesn't matter what the person on my left or on the right are doing. God has called me to live on the earth with a specific purpose and a design and I'm gonna go hard after God and build my life on His love because it's a sure foundation. It's helpful to you guys. You know what I reckon? You know what I reckon the conversations around the table of comparison often start with? It always starts with this phrase. You know when you sit at the table of comparison, it always starts with this phrase, by now. Doesn't it? You sit at the table and but 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 by now I, sh I should be married. 
by, by now I should have kids. By, by now we should have bought a house. By now I should be over that addiction. By now I should be fill in the blanks. By now I should be manager of the company. By now I should be supervisor of this site. By now I should have got my builder's ticket. By now, by now. Who says by now? Facebook? Who says by now? Instagram? I want you to know that the people around you do not have the final say on your life. Jesus has the final say on your life. Stop comparing. Let, let Jesus flip the table of comparison. It's helpful to you guys? But I reckon in this text where Jesus comes to the Jerusalem temple to flip tables, the table that I think he was truly flipping, which he's gonna flip in the churches of Australia, is a table of convenience. Because if you ex exegete the scripture properly, you understand that this temple in Jerusalem was a place that people would come to from all different parts of the wider region. It was the main place of worship. So ordinarily, what families would need to do when it was time to worship, they would have to plan the journey to get to the temple. So imagine with me, husband and wife would decide, we're gonna go to the house of God, and it's a two-day walk. So what we need to do is we need to make, make sure that we change the right currency so we can give our offering as an act of worship. And then we will get what we could afford, whatever animal that we could best afford, whether it be a lamb, whether it be a dove, and we had to find ways to keep it unblemished or clean and, and put it in some kind of uh, capsule or cage or something like that and make sure that it was clean. By the time we finished the two-day journey, we would get to the temple and present it to the priest. It would be unblemished or not dirty. Make sense to you guys? Yeah. Other different ritualistic things that they would have to do that would represent a sense of effort, intentionality, focus, and a heartfelt sense of sacrifice toward God because this is our act of worship was how people from all the different regions would come to the temple to worship. Make sense to you? Yeah. Now you gotta understand, someone in that first century decided, well, now that we've been taken over by Romans, capitalism has now come in to our mindset, so we've got a couple of you know, new innovations, new ideas that we can introduce into the church. Hey, why don't we set up some tables where money changes would change people's money so they wouldn't even have to think about bringing the right currency and they would just throw the coins down, would give them the right currency to put into the offering bucket and maybe take a bit of a cut ourselves. But you know, we'll try and make it convenient for people to worship with their offerings. And then what we would do as well, we would set up a few extra tables and then we would already have in these cages doves and and, and sheep and, 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 you know, whatever other animals that were deemed good for sacrifice so that people would come from all over the place and not have to worry about bringing their own animals. They could just saunter in in the middle of the day and go, oh, I reckon I'll have a couple of doves. How much for them? Oh, and then they would have a little bargain, you know, and that sort of thing. And, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, those two doves will do. Just give it straight to the priest for me. Convenience came into the house of God. And when Jesus saw what was going on, he wasn't annoyed that there were tables there. He wasn't annoyed that money was exchanging hands. What was he most wanting to flip? 
wanting to flip the table of convenience that we all want when we come into the house of God. I reckon in the days to come, Jesus is gonna restore back true sacrificial worship. When we understand what it's like to give of our lives to Him again, well, we don't see the house of God as something that fits into our schedule, but we see our schedule fitting into the house of God. I wanna say to somebody today, I had to repent when I read this this scripture because I went through a season, Pastor Danny, of about two or three years where every staff meeting I had, we were talking about how to make church more convenient for people until Jesus began to flip that table on the inside of me and said to me, Ken, count the cost of following Jesus, but don't you dare negotiate the price. Good preaching, good preaching. Come on, somebody. We want us, we say, I have decided to follow Jesus. We wear the t-shirt when we get baptized. But we don't really, we don't really want to follow him. We want to negotiate on the price of it. Can I, can I, can I just follow you, but you know, just, just be at church once a month? Can I, can I just follow you, Jesus, but you know, just, just you know, occasionally, just, just pray every now and then? Can, can, can I just follow you, Jesus, you know, for as long as you bless me and it's convenient for my family? It's time. See, if a move of God were to truly come into the house of God, people's hearts need to be moved back towards him. And he's flipping the tables of convenience again in the Western church. I know this is a hard word, friend, but I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is on this. The Holy Spirit's on this. And if, if, if we were to allow him to flip our tables, there is no measure to what he can do. There's no measure to what he can do in our families. And I think Jesus wants to flip some of the tables that we've been sitting at. It's because he's actually prepared better tables for us to sit at. If we read scripture, the Bible does talk about tables right throughout scripture. One of the tables I think that we need to come back to and sit at is the banqueting table. Come on, somebody, Luke chapter 14, the banqueting table. Jesus speaks to this parable of the masters prepared a banqueting table. This banqueting table is metaphoric. It's, it's, it's an analogy of what the Lord has prepared for us on this banqueting table, which so many of us don't wanna sit at. Remember, the, the, the story goes like this. The master says to the servant, go and, go and look for people to sit at this banqueting table. At this banqueting table, it's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's hope, it's community, it's freedom, it's grace. All the things that you need to fulfill the inner part of your life is found at this banqueting table. Go and tell everyone about it. And then the servant goes out and tells everyone about it. And this is the response they get. Oh, I've just bought a cow, can't come. I just married a wife, I can't come. Make sure you get the order right, right? You didn't buy a wife and marry a cow. <laughs> I just bought a block of land. I'm building a house, I can't come. Isn't it ironic that the human nature wants to sit at tables Jesus wants to flip, but we won't go near the tables Jesus wants to truly have a sit at. But at this, see, if you only knew, if you only ever feasted at the banqueting table, it will ruin you for all else. The banqueting table, the grace of God, it'll ruin you for all else. If you only were to feast at the tables that he's already prepared for you, you wouldn't wanna, wouldn't wanna touch any other table. Come on, somebody. Another table that I think 
the church should come back to and sit at is the communion table. The communion table. I've got a bit of a newsflash for Christians. You don't have to come to church to have communion. Just so you know, right? I had a lady march up to me and waved her bony little finger at me one, one year, it was during the pandemic actually. You know when the pandemic we were like, like a bit nervous about passing the cups and all that, so you remember that? Oh, maybe you didn't have it here. She waved a bony finger at me and said, Pastor Ken, why have we stopped having communion this month? It's like in the middle of the Omicron peak, woman. Settle down. Why have we stopped having communion at church? I said to her, Mrs. Summer, so you do realize you can have communion in your own house. You do realize you can have communion any time of the week. But this is what I love about sitting at the communion table. As often as you do, you actually remember what Jesus has done for you. And I think the reason sometimes we lose our way, we complain about this dumbest stuff, is because we've actually forgotten to sit at the table where we come in common union with the grace of God again. Oh, pastors, come on. Have communion in your church. Teach your, teach your people to, to honor the blood and to honor the, 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 the broken piece of bread which represents the body of Christ. There is something very beautiful about a people that understand the value of sitting at the communion table. It's helpful to you guys. Yeah, but you know the table that I think we should sit at more but we hate the most is the table that he prepares before us in the presence of our enemies. Can I preach this? This is the table we ask God to remove us from the most. The table in the presence of our enemies. We only like to sit on tables where we've got the people that agree with us, <laughs> love everything about us, and it makes us feel good about ourselves. The table in the presence of our enemies is the table you sit at where there's trial, there's challenges, there's hardships, things that make you at times feel overwhelmed. It's the very tables that make us write in prayer request cards. Please remove this table from me or remove me from the table. But you gotta understand, often these tables are the very tables that God has prepared for you to sit at. Because if you actually keep reading scripture, you'll see why and the outcome of what happens when you sit at the table that God has prepared for you. Psalm 23, verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It is there that you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I know so many young leaders that always say, Pastor Ken, how do, how do you get more anointing? How, how, do you, how do you get more of God? How do you? How do you grow in your faith? I wanna grow in my faith, you know? Well, can you send me some links on YouTube and send me some, yeah, yeah, I can do all of that. But often, what fills our life with a genuine sense of anointing and His presence is that we've been prepared to sit in a table in the face of hardship and trial and opposition. There have been seasons where I've sat and held the hand of my disabled son and said, God, if you could just remove us from this situation, that'd be great, thanks. 
And the Holy Spirit keeps saying to me, Ken, you keep sitting at that table. Because when you keep sitting at that table, where there is no certain, no end date to his condition, where there is no real certainty around or no magic wand to remove, remove you from that hardship, that's where the anointing flows. And, and across the last 10 years, we've seen God do miraculous things. Five years ago, we started a ministry called Heroes Academy, which is a ministry to children with additional needs and their families. It has been the fastest growing ministry in our church. We've seen people get saved, water baptized, people that in the disability sector, students that are working as, as OTs and people that have a heart that don't know Jesus completely and darkness that have come into the house of God, have experienced God because of the very thing that has anointed my head with oil because I refuse to step away from the table God has prepared for me in the presence of my enemy. I don't know what you're going through tonight that you might be thinking, that is an enemy of me. That's an enemy of my comfort. That's an enemy of my convenience. That's an enemy of me making feel good about myself. I don't like this right now. I promise you, if you were to keep sitting at that table for as long as God would have you there, you will experience an anointing. You will experience an overflow. You will experience a testimony that you will never have if you keep removing yourself from tables God has prepared for you to sit at. Somebody had built somebody to shout amen. Musicians, you can join me. You know, as I began to journey with God on tables, it's really a metaphor for the condition of our hearts, a metaphor for that day in the temple of Jerusalem. Jesus was physically flipping tables, but what he was doing was recalibrating hearts again. He was bringing people back again to the true worship of Jehovah. He was bringing people back again to the true honor of surrender and bringing people back again to the people. I don't know where you're at tonight in your heart, but this is what I believe that God wants to do tonight in this service, in this session of Build Summit. I believe that for so many of you, there are some tables that you know that God wants to flip. You, you already know, I'm, I'm speaking, God is challenging you, but he's saying, God, I, 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 I kind of like that table I shouldn't be sitting at. And I don't know if I'm ready for you to flip it just yet. Because you can't see what other tables God has prepared for you to sit at if you would allow Him to flip the tables you're not meant to be sitting at. Here is the hope and the assurance. If you actually say, God, I'm surrendering to you these tables. I know I shouldn't be sitting at the table of disappointment, disillusionment, cynicism. I know I shouldn't be sitting at the table of comparison. I know I shouldn't be sitting at the table of convenience and making God fit into my schedule. Whatever table, some of you have been sitting at the table of addiction for too long, hear me. Some of you have been sitting at the table of self-doubt. Some of you have been sitting at the table of offense and bitterness for too long. And you almost don't know where else to sit if God were to flip those tables. But I wanna say to you tonight, the Holy Spirit is so for you. There are beautiful tables that He's already prepared for you to set out tonight if you will only allow Him to flip the ones you're not meant to be sitting at. Can we give Jesus a big shout of praise? Come on, why don't you stand to your feet right across this room? Stand to your feet right across this room. There's such a beautiful touch of God in the room. Thank you, Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed, right across from the front to the back, left to the right.
I'm wondering tonight if the Holy Spirit's talked to you like He has to me about my tables. This is a deeply personal moment. As much as it's a prophetic corporate word for the church, I just feel like it's a deeply personal word for people in the room. You're saying, God, I, I know I'm chained to some tables and it's robbing me of the best life I know that I can live in you. Just begin to lift your hands like you're worshiping if that's you tonight. Whatever that table looks like, everybody has different tables. I sat at the table of disillusionment for so long. It was like a millstone around my neck. There have been seasons I sat at the table of bitterness. Some people hurt me deeply. I sat at that table, ordered all the courses, had dessert to go along with that too. Tonight, he's gonna flip your tables. And so many of you are gonna be sitting at the banqueting table afresh. And this is what I want you to do. You're saying, God, this is my heart. Flip every table inside my heart that I shouldn't be sitting at tonight. Because I want to build my life sitting only at the tables that you have prepared for me. I want you to step out of your seat.